You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. Every time Amir Malik steps onto the first tee faces challenges, and they don't simply involve putting the ball into the hole. As a practising Muslim, he avoids golf's many clubhouse rituals, the 19th hole drink and the gambling culture that's such an important part of the day at the course for so many. He prays five times a day, fitting his faith into minutes around tee boxes or finding a quiet corner of a changing room to show his devotion. He's faced racism and yet his deep love for golf remains undimmed. Those experiences have not defined his view of the sport. They've inspired him to change it through the Muslim Golf Association. Amir joins me this week on the From the Clubhouse podcast to talk about his experiences on the golf course, why the association is proving such a huge hit with players of all faiths, and what's next. Amir, welcome to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for your time, Steve. Yeah, great to speak to you. Um, let's just set the scene for people then. Tell me about the Muslim Golf Association. Yeah. Um, so the, the Muslim Golf Association sort of started as a bit of an experiment, to be fair. Um, I was, well, I've started playing the game maybe five, six years ago in the last sort of couple of years is when I've started taking it really seriously, got myself a handicap and, and became a member. But I was really fortunate and privileged enough to start playing different courses across the country. Um, and, and being a, a practicing Muslim, both someone who prays five times a, d- a day, doesn't drink and adheres to the faith and he's evidently Muslim through my beard. Um, I, I was, it was fascinating just to see how many other Muslims actually played this game. And I was finding that across the country there were small pockets of, of people and and I was like wow actually there's more people than I thought and so I, I work very closely with a charity called Reed Foundation who do a great job in providing education and schools for orphan children um, and, and my brother was a philanthropy manager there and, and I suggested to him I said listen why, why don't we do a charity golf day uh, we'll do a Muslim charity golf day. We will see, I'll get to see how many Muslims there are that could turn up and hopefully we could raise a couple of quid and, and the charity will, will benefit. So I, I deliberately created the association called the Muslim Golf Association. And, and it's a day that's going to stay with me for the rest of my life. So it was on December the 25th, 2019 um, is the day that I launched this association. And, and it was the day that we were going to launch uh, or release the tickets for the, the first charity day, which was going to be taking place at the Grove. So this was going to take place in June 2020. So it was at least six months in advance. And when we launched, Steve, within 24 hours, I had 72 people sign up, um, all paid for, for an event that was taking place six months in advance. Uh, and that's when I just thought, wow, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Within a week, I had 90 to 100 people on a waiting list saying, Amir, we want to play. Um, and, and that's when I thought, OK, clearly, you know, th- th- there's something here and there is a demand. Um, and so that is when the, 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 the Golf Association started. And. 
again, the inspiration behind it was not only just to see how many Muslims there were, but, you know, I absolutely love this game. But there is there are certain things such as there's a big social scene associated with golf. There's a big drinking culture associated with it, as is the 19th hole. And that doesn't sit right with me. And also someone who prays, you know, there will be times when you're playing a three, four hour round. It's got to be a time to pray. And we found it awkward to do so. So. I really wanted to create a platform where people could come together and just feel safe and not feel intimidated or, or have to feel like they've got to sacrifice their values to enjoy this game. And, and that was really the, the foundations of the association. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, um, because there obviously is a, a clubhouse culture around golf. Yeah. And, and and as you've uh, rightly pointed out, you know, golf can be a long game. Um, if you play 18 holes, I mean, it can vary from three hours to five, five and <laughs> yeah. a half hours. Depending on where you're playing, and obviously that will present challenges for you as a practicing Muslim who sure. prays regularly. So, I mean, previously, before um, you formed the association, how did you manage those challenges? You know, if you were out on the course and you and you needed to pray, how did you do that? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a funny one actually because to to pray probably takes no more than a couple of minutes, right? Five at absolute best, right? Um, so what almost at times you would do is either really hurry up through a hole play it as quickly as possible so that then there's a bit of a gap between you and the guys behind and you'd almost pray on the tee box and you know once they've approached the green no one's none the wiser and you sort of carry on um but then if you're playing the more compact courses you're always aware that people are watching you and it's just like four men bowing down and you're just like what's going on so at times you'd either pray on the course um other times you'd end up going into the changing rooms um or you'd find a, a quiet a, a, or a corner space and it was always the case that whenever you found a place someone would always walk in and you'd always be conscious of how that would be perceived and stuff um and there are times when you know we, we've had some comments made and there are times when people have looked at you a little bit funny um yeah it's a very discreet it's a very personal thing i don't think it's intrusive in any shape or form um and so, yeah, so, you know, there've been many times when you've just had to hide, but look, so many things happen on a golf course, right? Um, I, I don't see there's anything wrong in just stepping to the side of a tee box and, and literally praying. You don't disturb anyone. It takes literally no more than a couple of minutes and off you go. Um, and it's only usually only ever one prayer that would come in to into a round. Um, only in the winter months are they more compact, but yeah. So what led you to golf then? What inspired you about the game? Sure. So I come from a sporting family. I'm, I'm the youngest of four, but the, the difference between me and my next sibling is 15 years. I'm the baby of the family and got two brothers and a sister who were all sports fanatics. We grew up playing a lot of football and cricket. Naturally, being Pakistani, you know, it's in the blood um, itself. So the hand-eye coordination, luckily, uh, luckily, has always been there. And, and I spent a long time playing cricket, um, but I was always fascinated with any ball sports itself. And, and golf was always one that I looked at and thought, oh, that looks interesting. And it was only when we went to a driving range that you hit a couple of balls. It's when you middle one. Um, and I say this to anybody who ever gets into the game. I said, if you don't get a sensation of something doesn't something funny doesn't happen to you inside when you see that ball either be struck sweetly or just go up and down. If at that point something doesn't happen, then golf isn't for you. But if you do and you think that's cool then that's it. That is the beginning of the end because the addiction will really kick in. And that's what happened for me. And again, I was very fortunate. I had a close group of friends who we got into at the same time. Um, 
we, we didn't have a clue. You sort of start off on the pitch and putt and then you work and progress your way up. But we always did it collectively and we were always nervous about going to golf courses to see how we were received because it is always seen to be a sport played by white, middle-class, rich men. And, and to see brown guys on there was just a no-no. You just didn't really see it. Whereas on the cricket pitch, it's, you know, um, it's it's common, but not, not on the golf course. You've said to me before that um, you found echoes in golf that really speak to you in terms of the values and traditions of the game. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess without getting too philosophical or, or deep about it, but, you know, if you look at what golf, do, uh, what it teaches and, and how it's played and, and everything about it, it's a phenomenal sport. You know, you learn so much from a life perspective. I think people really do grow up, boys become men, um, in, in my opinion, because of the people that you're playing with, the the values that it teaches. And, and you know, I'm talking about the, the game in its pure sense because um, the course doesn't discriminate. OK, um, the course really doesn't. And if you respect the course, the course respects you. And and when I was looking at sort of comparing it with Islam, I just found so many similarities with it. Right. You, if you look at the etiquettes, the integrity, the handicapping system, um, it, it, for me, it was phenomenal. I, I, and I'll give an example. And, and there's one quote that I've got actually in one of my my banners. Um, and, and I don't know how true it is itself, but it says that if you ever wanted to, um, I think it goes along the lines, if you ever wanted to assess or um, understand the true value of of a man, it's a case of how they would conduct themselves on a golf course. Uh, because if anyone who can hit a true lie out of the rough is someone who's always going to be, you know, fair and safe to you. And, and, and it really is a game of small margins because no one's really watching you. You know, when you're standing over that ball, wherever it may be, you know, and it could be a difference of one inch between a good lie and a bad lie. And if you moved it, no one would be none the wiser. But there's always that concept that there is a game of integrity. It's a game of honesty. And if you look at the Islamic faith, that's the fundamental principle. It's a case of you will be held accountable for whatever has taken place in your life, literally on earth. And that's the concept of day of judgment. You may have got away with it. In, in today's world, but you will be held accountable on that day, on that day of judgment. And and that's the, the concept of God that will always stay with a Muslim. And when you're playing golf, you know, it's integrity, it's honesty. You know, at the end of the day, you're trusted within that. So there's similarities on that basic. I think if you look at the handicap system, um, we always know that there'll be some players who will be more talented, more skillful for others. And it's not fair to judge them you know, of equal ability, which is why you've got the handicap system. It's why you and I can go and play with Vori and Tiger, or we can play with someone who's a 54 handicapper. It levels it out and you're judged differently just as you score differently. And, and, and in Islam, you're not judged all the same. You know, if someone has more knowledge or if someone is uh, is more closer to faith, uh, closer to God in his faith compared to someone who's far more distant, it's not fair to judge them on the same parameters. Yeah, because if someone is, is less able to do something, then they should be judged, you know, of, 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 a, of a lower scale. And, and that's a concept in Islam. You know, we can't expect everyone to be, you know, the most devout, the most practicing, the most charitable. It doesn't happen like that. But everyone has different qualities and it's respected and, and you are judged accordingly. So those are just some of the similarities that I found. And I could talk for hours about it. But, um, you know, what, what it teaches, the etiquettes and the traditions around it, the respect um, the sportsmanship is just it's phenomenal 
So you found a home then within golf because you those <laughs> parallels, but you needed a community. And that's what the Muslim Golf Association is, especially now, isn't it? Because, you know, we've talked about that first event, but the response that you've had since then has been phenomenal, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it really has. And, and it's been so humbling just to see how many people have actually um, reached out and just said we've been looking for something like this. I mean, mine, I, 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 I'm, I'm very fortunate enough that I was, you know, I've been grow, I've grown up with confidence. I've had good people around me, you know, um, and, and being successful in, in my personal and private life has given me the confidence to, to be able to deal with such situations. But not everyone is like that, you know, and I have had a lot of racist comments thrown and I've gone through some difficult situations, but I'm ugly enough and, and old enough to have gone through that. But so many people haven't and they've been scarred for life. Um, and it's not until you hear other people's stories and what they've been through that you understand that. And for me, another reason of the association was to to create it as a, as a platform for inspiration, that actually you should be proud to be a Muslim individual, whether that be outwardly or inwardly. And, you know, our values are very simple. We all in the association, all we say is that there is no alcohol, there's no gambling and there will always be prayer facilities made available. And anyone from any faith, ethnicity, race, gender, whatever it may be, can come along to our events and partake. As long as you respect those values, we are more than accommodate. In fact, we welcome everyone within that. And what, what we're then finding is that we want people to come along and say, well, actually, you can come and be yourself and, and you can take these values with you wherever you go and you shouldn't have to hide them. Um, and, you know, just it, they should just be respected. And so the feedback we've had has been very humbling but at the same time it's also been very alarming because so many people are saying that you know I started this game but I, I fell out of it because of the not one say necessarily it was abuse but the the feedback and the comments and people just felt uncomfortable. Yeah that is um, that's disappointing to hear but hopefully uh, the work that you're doing can start to change that and we can start to move forward um, tell me a little bit about the events that you've had because you've got a, you've got a number of them now and <laughs> yeah yeah 100 so after the first event we, we clearly discovered that there was a big demand of, of, of golfers all across the country and, and it wasn't fair just to hold them in one place or one city so for me 2021 was always going to be a big year where we wanted to do multiple events across the country especially in the summer because I thought that's our window you know hopefully we can be COVID free and so we were very lucky to go and work with the Marriott um, and there was someone that I approached and thought they've they're got stunning hotels they've got some wonderful golf courses and locations across the country and I said look I've got an idea I'd like to hold sort of three four events events and, and almost call it uh, have it as an order of merit and a tri-series tournament and call it the race to Arden uh, where I'd like to have the Forest of Arden as the final course but we'll hold an event in Manchester uh, we'll hold an event in London we'll do the final in Birmingham so we recently held one at Worsley Park on I think it was June the 28th sold out months in advance and it was a phenomenal day um, we got to see Rick Shields. He turned up. I think he was doing some filming and he got to see a bit of experience with the MGA it was great. But we had people from all across the country, from Glasgow, from Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, London, you name it. People drove up and it was such a wonderful day. Um, and I couldn't thank the staff, the hotel staff for being so friendly and accommodating. Um, we've then got an, an event taking place on July the 30th at the Shire. So another wonderful golf course that sold out. Uh, we've already got about 15, 20 people on a waiting list with that one. And then we've got the final taking place at the Forest of Arden. So that's the men's event. Um, and for me, the association has always been about how can we encompass an increased diversity 
across everyone. So the next evolution was the women's side. Um, and so a few weeks back, we launched the Muslim Women's Golf Association, where I'm proud to say we're working very closely with Love.Golf and Syngenta. Um, and the guys there, Alistair, what they're doing for the women's side was just was brilliant. And it so resonated in terms of his story and his feedback was a case of we're too rigid in how we approach this game to teach people far too long we just get people on a driving range and we go through the technicalities of the game before we start looking at and, and realizing what brought us here was the fun element of being out of going out on a golf course and so the, the methodology of let's put the fun back in get people out on the golf course as quickly as possible get them feeling good about themselves was something that i wanted to do with the mga so we partnered up um, and we've pretty much created a coaching program where we get absolutely beginners who've never picked up a club, just getting them to enjoy the game and have fun. So we've created Taster Days and we launched the first one at, in Birmingham a few weeks back at Stonebridge. Um, within 12 hours, I had 25 women signed up and we had 40 women on a waiting list saying we want to come and play. And it was obviously targeted at the Muslim community. And, the, and, 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 and all we did was we, we've not done anything revolutionary we've just packaged it in the ways that we don't care what you look like we don't care what you wear just come with a smile and with an open mind and we'll take care of, of everything else so whether you wear a hijab or a niqab or an abaya couldn't care just trainers and a smile is all you need and we'll just get you out having fun and if you go onto the website and you see the videos the, the feedback was immense and, and when I say life-changing I genuinely mean that because you know we've had people who've had long-term illnesses and, and have been looking for some way to just go out and feel normal again and for two hours they were walking playing having fun smiling meeting new people and especially the year that we've had you know that's what people needed and and it was just it was phenomenal to see and be part of and so I've now got 120 women across the country saying, we want to play. Can you bring this to us? So I'm just trying to sort that out at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned the video. I mean, I'd urge any golf clubs who are listening to this to have a look at your YouTube channel and just watch that video, um, because as a way of inspiring women to get into golf, I'm, I'm not sure you could have done much more there. I mean, you, you talked about the smiles and um, and just the relaxed nature of it as well. Everyone was at ease throughout that throughout that video. And um, the, the two things that um, came through for me were one, um, the feeling of safety that they had. You know, they um, a, a lot of the participants repeatedly said, didn't they? This is an environment yeah. in which we feel safe. That's right. Um, and secondly, how they wanted to push forward. You know, for 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 a lot of the people who took part, um, it was the first time they'd ever held a golf club. Yeah, That's I right. don't think it'll be the last. No, no. I mean, we we had over seventy five percent of them sign up for a four week course. Um, and th th you've got to imagine that these are people who have never, ever, have only ever driven past a golf club, let alone held a club, hit a ball, been on a course. And we had, I think the youngest was 16 and the oldest was about 63. Um, and I was just like, wow. And there was one, there was one elderly lady who, you know, you, you could see where she was almost sort of struggling to carry a bag, but she was so adamant, so resilient. She wanted to hold that bag all the way through. And I just thought... That woman's been through so much in her life that for her, you know, she just wanted to be strong and independent. And you could just see that. And, and she was inspiring and, and she's coming back. And yeah. And, and, and for me, the, the, the game is, is it should be accessed by absolutely anyone, regardless of gender, ethnicity, race, 
you, you it's not an expense it is I, I i know there is an expense associated with it but it shouldn't be at entry level it really really shouldn't um you know it should be the focus is just get people out there get them having fun it's a family game this is the, one of the few sports where your your grandkid your, your grandparents can play with your grandkids and the mums and the dads can all go out and play together give me one sport where you could do that i i th- there's very few and and to spend that time quality time is priceless so for me it's just trying to promote it and and for again the next evolution of the mga is to be focusing on the children is to be looking at opening this up to kids at a younger age because i wish i was five and i said my child my kid's five i've got him into it because if i'd got into it i certainly wouldn't be playing cricket um and um and that's what we want to do next is, is just get kids from an early age just enjoying the game well, you're proving remarkably good at foreseeing my next question so uh... <laughs> because my next question was going to be next for the mj obviously you've got um the series of events this year we're going to have final in august at at forest of arden you've obviously got a huge platform now for um for getting uh women and girls into the sport through the association that you have with um, love golf and syngenta um I imagine that when you started the association a couple of years ago, this where you are now would have already seemed really, really far away. So, I mean, how much can you dream about what's going to happen in the next couple of years and where would you like to be if I gave you a crystal ball? Yeah, I, I guess I've always been ambitious and my my friends and my wife would have always called me mad. Um but I, I've always felt that you've got to dream big, you've got to aim big. And, and so for me, the plan has always been to take the MGA global, um, is to take it worldwide. Maybe not so much in America or Canada, where I think it's played or played really well, but really to the East and to the Asia. I mean, I've purposely called it the Muslim Golf Association because I am Muslim. It's something that I can resonate with and empathize with and, and understand. And being a Muslim means that we we, we don't look at nationalities or colors or 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 so on you know the faith really brings everyone together of all backgrounds but there's a big population in the east if you look at the middle east if you look at the subcontinent if you look at malaysia you look at indonesia you know that there's billions of muslims out there and these people are, are just untapped if we look at the pga tour the european tour how many muslims are actually on there very few if any at all and i'm thinking we've missed a trick here um, but, but i want to introduce this game to everybody in the world and and i'm going to start with the muslims and that's where i want to do i want to take what we've done in the uk i want to go to the middle east i want to go to pakistan i want to go to india i want to go to malaysia and just do what we're doing is get the men involved get the women involved get the children involved and just do the introductory side of things and and I would love to have an MGA global tournament where we get people from all across the world from qualifiers and and we get them all together and and why not so yeah what's happened is just happened a lot quicker and I've just been humbled how well it's been received by people in the industry because it is a small industry and the feedback I've got has has just been very supportive very humble but you know i can't do it alone and we just need as much support as we can from people like yourself and and everybody else in the industry because i think it's ripe 
for change. I think if we're living in a world of disruption, um, if you look at all the other corporate industries, the finance industry, the legal industry, you know, the, the traditional systems have been broken because people are fed up of the way that things have been done. You know, we've got to evolve. And unfortunately, the golf arena for me is still very traditionalist, still very elitist, and it is ripe for disruption. It is ripe for change. Um, and hopefully I can be an inspiration for, for other communities and, and other people to come in and, and make that change. But we can't do it alone. Uh, but we've got to be forward thinking. We've got to be open. Ignorance isn't an excuse anymore. Um, and we've got to be flexible. I mean, I, I, I still respect the game and its traditions and its values. I get that. But if we look at grassroots level, at entry level, things have to change. We've got to be open. Um, we've got to get people loving this game um, for what it truly is about. It's an inspiring story, Amir. Uh, congratulations on your success so far. All the best um, for the future. I'm sure thanks everyone so listening will be watching really closely. And thanks for joining me on the From the Clubhouse podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.